0: and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today, in honor of Valentine's Day, we are going to be doing a deep dive into romance. We did one of these close to 10 years ago, so I guess yes. at this point. <laughs> oh <my> gosh. <laughs> on mystery, and, and you sort of took the lead on that because you're our resident mystery
1: reader. Right. And we've talked about this off and on. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this episode from, I think from day one, because this was, that was part of our original, like list of doing deep dives into various genres. And so this was like oh let's let's do or let, we've done mystery let's do romance and right. we kept saying it and it just kept never being the right time yeah, yeah. helpful timing for yeah. our schedules right and, and I, I say ours I mean yours You're right. so, <laughs> so oh. yes
0: I'm going to apologize in advance to you Anne because there's going to be a lot of linking there's going to be a lot of me <laughs> yeah. recommending titles and authors I also am going to just put in a little plug, I actually am going to be presenting in a webinar on romance in March, March 19th, and maybe we could put the link in the show notes as well in case people want to register for that. It's primarily something that is promoted for librarians to join, but it's it's free, it, anybody could join, so if you're interested, um, we'll put a link in there. It will probably actually cover a lot of the same sorts of things we're talking about today, but... I don't know, maybe you're intrigued and want to learn more. So I think we're just going to get into it. I mean, we're going to give kind of an overview of what romance is and then do a deep dive.
1: Sounds good. I uh, apologize in advance for how uh, little talking I was. No, I want you, you to do
0: it. Wa- <laughs> I want you to weigh in too. And you read it. You read it now more than you used yes, to, for, for sure. sure. No,
1: I, I will, but I also am like, I want to watch the Master do her mastering. <laughs> oh, don't say that, don't say that. Okay, all right, well, let's just start in general with what a romance
0: novel is. And I've talked about this before, so I'm going to just touch on it very briefly, but a romance novel has just a couple of elements that have to be there to be considered a romance novel. And those are... There needs to be a romantic relationship at the center of the story. So Mm -hmm. other things can happen in the story, and often many other things do happen in the story, but the main focus is the romantic relationship. So that's one. The second thing to make it a romance is it absolutely must have a happy ending. If it doesn't have a happy ending, it is not a romance. Mm -hmm. So that can mean two things. That's a happily ever after, where the implication at the end of the book is that the couple, that the or the relationship that's at the center, then they're together forever, or there's also what's called a happily for now, which that has risen in popularity, particularly for teen romances, mm, because yeah. you wouldn't necessarily want a teen romance where the main characters are 16 to end in a way that implies that that's it for the rest of their lives, because that's probably not super realistic. I mean, I know mm-hmm. that there are people who meet in high school or even younger who end up together forever, but that's less likely. So those are kind of the two things, and that happily for now has been embraced for adult romances also, but it's, it's definitely more significantly represented in teen. Mm-hmm. So those are the two things that need to happen for it to be considered a romance. And there are lots of books that are love stories where you still have that central romantic relationship, but they don't have a happy ending necessarily. Mm-hmm. And that would be considered a love story. You also have a lot of books that have a romantic element to them where they talk about romantic relationships or that's a subplot. But it's, if it's not the central point of the story, that's also not a romance. Mm -hmm. So I would say something like Nicholas Sparks that a lot of people know. He does not write romances. I would also say, and I have not read her in a long time, but Colleen Hoover, I wouldn't say, writes romances because Mm -hmm. my memory of her books is they don't always end happily, Um, but they do have love stories at the center. So that's just a little brief primer about what a romance is would you agree with all of those things from your experience
1: yeah 100% and it's it's interesting cuz i had been trained that the only th- that the only thing that made it ma- that that mattered mm-hmm. it was if it had a happily mm-hmm. ever after and then it's been very enlightening as things have gone on um, as i don't know if it's just i went to different conferences mm-hmm. or after being out of grad school or even just that the discussion has changed a little bit to include the fact that it has to be a central... Mm -hmm. The central plot has to revolve around the love story because Mm -hmm. that's where it gets into a lot of, at least least for committee purposes, it Mm -hmm. gets into a lot of tricky territory Mm -hmm. of people saying, well there's they there's a couple that ends up together so why isn't this a romance but then like parsing out was the point of it that she grows as a person right or and this just was a a side thing or that that has really really clarified a lot of things and so romance is actually the thing that to me is almost the easiest to identify now because there are two there those are so imperative right. to romance whereas other genres you're like well it could have right the all the like certainly every genre has its things that have to be there but it's it isn't quite as hard and fast as these two things must exist or else it is like right. it's almost mathematical right in a way right and so um so yeah it's 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 a helpful tool
0: and i will say the line is blurring a bit because Mm -hmm. I think for a few reasons and I've talked about these plenty of times especially when I'm talking sort of about what I'm reading that week or I'm bringing an example to that whatever our weekly topic is but the lines get blurred either by marketing (laughs) the way the book is marketed or the fact that relationship fiction often has a heavy romantic element to it and so sometimes it can it can be a little bit harder to identify, is this a romance or is it really, like you said, about the growth of the main character, who's mm-hmm. usually a woman in relationship fiction, although not always. But I think it's just it's just thinking to yourself, if you took the romance out of this book, could the story still exist? Right. And if it's a romance novel, it cannot still exist, exist if the romance were taken out because so much of the book is spent on the romance, basically. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Let's talk a little bit about why people like it. (laughs) Because I think there is a perception that romance is very formulaic and therefore not good. Or that people who don't read it kind of look down on it. But the reason people like it is because it's formulaic. So that Mm -hmm. that is a positive to romance readers. They know when they pick up a romance novel, that they get that guaranteed happily ever after. What they care about is the way the story gets there, the emotional beats of it, the conflicts that might be inherent to why they can't be together. Those are the things that romance readers care about. There's a sense that it's an escape. It's an escape from the real world. Nobody in real life can have a guaranteed happily ever after. Bad things happen and... You don't always know if it's going to turn out okay. So -hmm. for romance readers, when they're picking up a romance, they want that feeling of everything's going to be right at the end Mm -hmm. of the book. I I think I may have mentioned this when I read this book, but in Catherine Center's most recent book, Hello, Stranger, she had this great author's note at the end where she talked a bit about the predictability of romance novels. And I'm just going to read a short little snippet of it because I think that she sums it up really well. And she says... Love stories don't have happy endings because their authors didn't know any better. They have happy (laughs) endings because those endings let readers access a rare and precious kind of emotional bliss that you can only get from having something that matters to look forward to. Mm. So I think that really hits the nail on the head. Is that It's that anticipation of, you know they're going to be happy at the end, so how do they get there? You want those giddy feelings of watching people fall in love or reconnect or whatever it might be. And it's it's a very emotional genre. And and there's all the heartache and yearning and swoony feelings wrapped up in that, that pe- the readers want to feel. The formula is part of the appeal. It's not a negative to romance mm-hmm. readers. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to talk a little bit about was steam level or the spiciness (laughs) of books. I think, again, people who don't read romance might sort of assume that they all have a lot of sex in them because, at least it used to be this way, covers used to kind of convey what's called a clinch cover where it's the brawny shirtless man and the girl Mm. in the long dress and they're, you know, grasping each other. The Fabio style. Exactly, exactly. But there actually is a quite a wide range of steaminess that you can find in romance Mm -hmm. novels. And so there's something truly for everybody. Like if that's something that you're not comfortable with reading on the page, there are romances that have very little intimate scenes or none. um, And then some that go very into detail. And so there are a few different ways that romances are identified as far as this goes. So often they're referred to as open door or closed door. So closed door is romance where you'll probably get descriptions of kissing but that's about it like anything else is implied nothing is described on page that would happen in the bedroom it's like a fade to black situation you you get the lead up that you know these characters are romantically attracted to each other but then you know you don't get the details beyond that. And then open door is what people say for when you do get those descriptions. So it doesn't fade to black. You, you actually get more detail about what's happening when they're being intimate. But there are even ranges within that. So you have what's sort of like a partially open door where you get maybe a little bit of description, but then it's kind of glossed over beyond that. And then you go into the next scene, whatever that might be. And then you also get sometimes very explicit multi-page descriptions of what's (laughs) happening. Uh, So something like Fifty Shades of Grey, which many people are familiar with, that would be what I would consider pretty explicit. A, A lot of those books, and I only read the first one, so I should admit that, but there was a lot of time spent on descriptions of what was happening between the two main characters in their sexual relationship. And then you have the opposite end where there's an author named Sarah Adams who's become popular recently, and her, her books have basically no descriptions. Those are sometimes called clean romances, and that clean implies that there's nothing, no sexual content, often no bad language, no violence. I and many other readers don't like that term because it implies that Books that do include that are dirty, which is not accurate. It's just preference. But you might, if that's something that appeals to you, that you want to maybe try a romance, but you don't really want the sex part of it, there are lots of lists that you can find that are titled clean romances. Chaste romances would also be another way to find those. Many, I would say, if this is something that is important to you to know what you're getting into before you pick up a book many professional reviews and reader reviews on places like goodreads or storygraph they're going to identify how explicit the book is because that's become more and more important i would say or not more important but just more readily available information that people include when they're talking about a book Uh, they'll talk about how the spice level Um, Sometimes you'll get people describing it in number of chili peppers. So it's like Mm -hmm. one chili pepper, not very spicy, five chili peppers, super spicy, or, you know, little fire emojis if you're on social media reading book reviews. So you can find this information about books that you're interested in. And often authors tend to stick in a certain lane. So you, you most likely aren't going to have an author that writes some books that have no sex on page and then some books that have it tons of sex on page so if you find an author you like you can be fairly confident that other books will be in the same
1: kind of category if mm-hmm. that makes sense it's interesting too like people assume that the sex in romance novels is all one type of right of, of like the descriptions are the same and and and, and I mean specifically people who don't read romances. like like it has such a reputation of the rip bodist style right. uh descriptions. and it is there's such that that does exist, but that is such a narrow part of romance as a whole that of of these like very flowery descriptions mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. that that it it's really. You can find all kinds of different writing styles within within romance that that describe these intimate scenes. Right. I mean, just like anything else, there's
0: people people write in different ways. So right. Uh, right. But some work, yeah, for certain readers, and wouldn't work for other re- readers about right. just the way they write. And partially, it's what turns people on. There are lots of books that delve into different topics within like different ways that people have sex and I mean certainly you have different pairings of people or you have multiple like you have polyamory represented in romance novels and some people might really want to read that sort of thing and some people might not at all because that's not appealing to them so Mm -hmm. you just have to know that going in I think is that sometimes it's gonna be writing that works for you and sometimes it might not.
1: Right, just like every other Exactly, exactly.
0: It's no different, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so then the next thing I want to talk about are tropes in romance. So tropes are a huge, huge part of romance. And often dedicated romance readers will have certain tropes that they absolutely love and can't get enough of, and then certain tropes that they avoid, like the plague, because they hate them. Um, So we'll put a link in the show notes to a list – it's a pretty comprehensive list i think of tropes because there's we would be here for five hours if we talked about
1: all of them um i'm just gonna it hit feels like they just keep being being invented too true yeah they're really not they still no. existed but like a, a more narrow definition right sort of like grumpy grumpy sunshine right That right. was huge and so right. like that has existed but it's now it's now like has it a explodes. real definition to right. it yeah Um, Yeah, so we'll put the, if you're
0: curious, you can look at the full list. I'm just going to touch on a few that I think uh, you hear about a lot. So I thought I would talk about those. Um, The other thing I wanted to say is romances often have multiple tropes represented. So you will, sometimes it's just one, but sometimes it's both enemies to lovers and workplace romance or something like that. Like it, It might not necessarily just fall into one ca- category just in case you're not aware of what a trope is so a trope is like a known convention of the genre
1: so a very yeah it's not like a formula necessarily no but but it but convention i think is a good a good way of, of describing it of of like there's a there's <laughs> yeah it's hard to describe yeah so, yeah <laughs> and, and it could be
0: character it could be setting it could be yeah but sort of like a setup of the way the story is structured almost or right. or like how how the story is going to evolve.
1: Right. Does that make and sense? And it can it can imply kind of a tradition too because because like, yeah. even outside of romance like thinking of mysteries there are certain tropes that are like this this is a habitual way that right. this is this information is conveyed or a habitual element that that defines this this genre right. uh, or or is is super common in it. And so and so that's that I think is true of romance, too. But it it feels like romance is a lot more like people have fan bases surrounding those those things. So I'll give an example. And I'm guessing most people know tropes. So we might be
0: spending too much time on this. But in the fantasy world, the chosen one is a trope that people like. So Harry Potter is a chosen one story. He is the one person Mm -hmm. who can defeat Voldemort. And so they're tropes across genres. And I would say science fiction and fantasy are probably two other genres similar to romance, where people have ones that they're kind of ride or die for, or they really love them. That's just an example maybe that'll clarify if you're not familiar Mm -hmm. with tropes. Okay, so the first trope I want to talk about is friends to lovers, which is exactly what it sounds like, (laughs) where uh, the protagonists start out as friends and then develop feelings for each other, and it ends up romantic. One thing I will say about friends to lovers is, from what I've read, oftentimes a portion of the couple has ha- had, feel- had romantic feelings mm-hmm. and been hiding them or keeping them to themselves because they don't want to ruin the friendship. So that, that's often playing a part, too. But sometimes it truly is just they're friends first and then romantic feelings develop. So People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry, which I know is one of your favorites, mm-hmm. is a, a great friends to lovers romance where they've been friends for years and years they had a bit of a falling out and then through the course of the book you see how their friendship changed and and then where they get to at the end which is happily ever after for them so next is enemies to lovers which is where the central characters start out really not liking each other and then it's a thin line between love and hate and soon the hate turns into romantic feelings there's often lots of kind of sparring verbally in things in these Mm -hmm. kinds of books. I would say Rivals to Lovers is a very similar one, and that's Mm -hmm. where they're not exactly enemies, but they're both competing for the same job or something like that. So The Wedding Party by Jasmine Guillory is one of these that I really enjoyed where it's a best man and a maid of honor, I believe, and they really don't like each other, (laughs) and uh, they have a bit of a, a past, and then they're forced to... Uh, interact because of this wedding and they start out really kind of on opposite sides of how they feel about each other to where they end up at the end and then the hating game by Sally Thorne is one that I think maybe a lot of people have heard of it was very popular when it came out and they made a movie out of it this is more rivals to lovers I would say mm-hmm. because again they're like I just said in earlier they're competing for a promotion at work and they're pitted against each other and um, play lots of Cranks on each other and things like that. Speaking of (laughs) the hating game, uh, workplace romance is another one that you see a lot of where because they work together, they're in close contact and they fall for each other. And sometimes there are complications because maybe that's not allowed where they work or it's going to mess up their chances for getting a new job or something. There are just all sorts of reasons. But Allie Hazelwood does a lot of workplace romances and I think... All of her adult romances have been workplace romances. Love, theoretically, is her most recent one, which I talked about as one of my favorites of last year. And those are great representations of workplace romances. Another one, I know you liked her first book. I don't know if you read her second one, is With (laughs) Love from Cold World by Alicia Thompson. Thomas? Yes. Yes. Thompson. Uh, Thompson. And it's about uh, two people who work at this winter-themed theme park in florida i believe who fall in love do you have any to add to these before i just plow through them
1: no go for it i'm enjoying this okay i like i like being like everything you say i'm like "Uh uh-huh yeah that's that's smart (laughs) that's a good one
0: (laughs) another one that i feel like
1: is very popular
0: and that we've talked about before because it can be hard to pull off well is fake dating Mm -hmm. so this is where they pretend to date for some ulterior motive often it's like their family's pressuring them to meet somebody and so they are bringing somebody that they're pretending is their boyfriend or girlfriend because they want their family to get off their back or they their boss has said they're never going to get the partner position (laughs) because they're not married and so they bring some (laughs) uh, so it's things like that so they they strike a deal with somebody to pretend to be their significant other and then in the course of pretending, they start catching real feelings for each other. So this is actually one I really, really like, but it does need to be done well because sometimes the point of fake, the, the reason they're dating or pretending to date doesn't make sense or mm-hmm. it just seems so outlandish that it's kind of hard to buy into. Um, but when it's done, I really do like it because it's sort of like, you know, they're acting like they're together. Mm -hmm. But then they, you see how much they actually do like being together. It's super
1: fun. It's also the, I I feel like fake dating is just like the top trope right now of, of, I mean, and and that's saying it with every, right all of these are well, well, well represented, but fake dating really has had just like a skyrocket in popularity in the last like five years. And, and it's just, I'm always like, but what other scenarios can you come up with? I don't know. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, so, if you're curious about this one, uh, "Written in the Stars" by Alexandra Bellafleur was or Alexandria Bellafleur, excuse me, was one I really liked. Uh, it's almost a little bit of a Pride and Prejudice retelling, slightly uh, or sort of a Pride and Prejudice premise. And then "Boyfriend Material" by Alexis Hall is another one that's mm-hmm. uh, been was. Pretty popular and was really great um where they have to pretend to be in a couple
1: i and i always like one of the so fake dating is not my favorite just because of how how uh prominent it is that i i sort of get like i just get exhaustion i think from it but but so i think for me the more outlandish it is the more i enjoy it yeah it's that's true. it's like this is so this already is so preposterous yeah. that, that people would do this and it, for how much it happens in romance versus how much <laughs> it happens in real life is extremely <laughs> skewed. And so then when I see it done and it's like, this person can't inherit their millions <laughs> because their grandfather's will said they have to be married for a year. Yeah. Like Then I'm kind of like, yeah, this is fun yeah. and, and ridiculous and, and goofy. Yeah. So so last year I read uh, The Fiance Farce yeah. by Alexandria Belfleur. And that was one where where it's like, someone that that scenario exactly but but there's also this um element of the the uh non-wealthy part of the the couple she has had a crush on a woman that she found online and pretends to be that it's her girlfriend to her family and then that woman happens to walk in and goes along with it. So it's like this double fake dating <laughs> thing. It just, it was so ridiculous. It was very, very fun. fun.
0: So another one that I really like is forced proximity, where the main couple has to be together for some reason in close quarters. So this is often, I would say, a if they're going on a road trip, with somebody Mm, a stranger or an enemy or something this is often i would say forced proximity often overlaps with other tropes because the ones i'm thinking of are all all have other elements to them so Mm -hmm. they might be enemies to lovers and forced proximity like they're stuck together for the weekend at a wedding like the wedding party that i mentioned or they're going on a road trip together and they have to be together for 48 hours straight or something like that. But I feel like these are really gaining in popularity too. So Actor Age, Eve Brown by Talia Hibbert is one where the force proximity is that they work together and they're working at, is it like an inn Airbnb kind of, not Airbnb, but like an inn. So they're they have to be around each other. And then I realized I have not I have not done many historical romances, but A Week to Be Wicked by Tessa Dare is another force proximity one where they're traveling by carriage for a week to this conference (laughs) this like scientific conference it's such a fun book it's so much fun talk about close quarters they're in a carriage there's nothing there are no cell phones to distract them smartphones to distract (laughs) them Um, so that was a really fun one just a lot of jostling yeah also there's like sort of related to forced proximity there's there's only one bed where yeah they show up somewhere (laughs) to spend the night and there's one room left
1: and only has one bed that's another popular one. It's so funny to be like, now I'm starting to see romances marketed where it will tell you all the tropes that are within them. And right. it will just, like, list one, only one bed, forced proximity, yeah. enemies to lover. Like, it will go through all of these things. And it's really funny to be, to realize, like, oh, that's going to be in there. Yeah, I
0: know. But see, that helps identify. Because if you know, like, for you, if you don't right. like fake dating, usually you can avoid those books. right. Because right, right. you're probably not going to be satisfied reading it. You're going to just roll your eyes the whole time. So it can mm-hmm. really help. To yeah, know what for sure. you're getting into. Next one is opposites attract, uh, which we're going to get into sort of a subset of this next. But opposite attract is exactly what it sounds like that you have these characters that are nothing alike, but there's something that draws them together. So this can be a whole different variety of of elements. So you could have something like one half of the couple's really uptight, one half is really free spirited and just go with the flow, and you know they come together. You sometimes see, especially in historical fiction, one is very wealthy and one is not, and mm. and they're opposites in that way. Sometimes it's an age gap; there's an age difference, so you have somebody who's older with somebody who's a little bit younger. So you see a variety in opposites attract. One example I have that I read last year and really loved was Knockout by Sarah McLean, and that's what, like the free spirited versus uh, uptight scenario where. You have this police inspector who is tormented by the female main (laughs) character who likes to set off bombs and, like, explosions, and it's all set in, I think, Victorian times, um, and they're super fun because she's, she's kind of quirky and, um, a little bit, not free-spirited necessarily, but she just looks at things very differently from how he does, so that's a fun one. And then The Singles Table by Sarah Desai is a contemporary romance that is, um, they're like complete opposites and they get together. And then, as I said, the, there's there are subsets of this. And one extremely popular one is grumpy sunshine. So this is mm-hmm. where one half of the couple is sort of dour and grumpy. And then one half is always cheerful and happy and just trying to shed sunshine in the world. And again, there are a lot of these that if, if you want more, just... Uh, message me and i'll for any of these tropes i can give you tons more suggestions but battle royal by lucy parker was one i read not too long ago that was a good grumpy sunshine and then it happened one summer by tessa bailey Uh, Mm -hmm. and and that's actually trying to think i think that's also an opposites attractant
1: one is very wealthy and one is not Mm -hmm. and then uh uh role playing last year that i liked very much is sorry i almost wrote that down and then i thought maybe you would oh that's okay them. um and so and that's by kathy yardley and that one is is uh friends to lovers plus grumpy sunshine um and and it's interesting the way that the tropes interplay with each other yeah. like how different tropes can sometimes like naturally lead to a second trope right like the forks proximity and, yeah. and one bed thing yeah. um but then uh, it's very interesting when they seem to not do that like when they when it seems set up to not do that so i wouldn't necessarily put friends to lovers plus grumpy sunshine right together but then when they when it happens and it's done well you're like oh Oh, this is this was a fun way of looking at it so
0: okay so i just have a few more and the next one is best friend sibling this can also be siblings best friend (laughs) it's sort of like (laughs) there are two (laughs) versions of this which is basically you fall for uh like your brother's best friend or something like that scandalized by ivy owens was one of these that i really liked and it's about a girl who it's It was her childhood best friend's older brother, and they run into each other as adults, and they haven't seen each other in several years. But there are always complications, right, because you're not just dealing with the central relationship and the people in it and their feelings. You're also dealing with the brother or sister of, Mm -hmm. you know, whoever it is. And then uh, Romancing Mr. Bridgerton by Julia Quinn uh, is one that's a historical example, which is an upcoming season of Mm -hmm. Bridgerton is about this book where Penelope is one of the sisters in the family's best friends, but she has this crush on one of the brothers. So Another one is Marriage of Convenience. You see this much, much, much more in historical romances than you do in contemporary, but there are some in contemporary, too. You referred to a book earlier that was a Marriage of or it was for fake dating, but I thought you were going to say Marriage of Convenience, where it's like, I only get my inheritance if I'm married. So you get something out of this because... I will set you up for the rest of your life, you know, with money or whatever it is. but And then I get my inheritance. Um, Mm -hmm. But we don't love each other. We're just doing this because it's convenient. So How to Catch a Queen by Alyssa Cole is a great marriage of convenience story. um, And The Bell of Belgrave Square by Mimi Matthews is a historical. um, And going back to our spiciness conversation, Mimi Matthews is a great historical author uh, who does closed door romances if that's something you're interested in and then my last one that i think is having a moment is the celebrity normal person romance Oh yeah where oh my gosh yes <laughs> uh where you have just your average person uh who gets involved with a celebrity and all the complications that ensue uh the bodyguard by catherine center was one i know you really loved mm-hmm. la- two years ago and yeah. um about a famous actor I believe who Mm -hmm. that's also fake dating now that I'm thinking about it Uh, but anyway they they get uh, involved and then Funny You Should Ask by Alyssa Sussman which was one book I loved a couple of years ago as well about a journalist who interviews a famous person and they end up having a moment that then they revisit something like 10 years later. So that's it for tropes and then I'm going to talk just a little bit well not just a little bit but I'm going to talk about some subgenres because (laughs) alongside tropes you also have different subgenres of romance. So uh, some of these are broader than others, and so um, I'll talk a little bit about kind of how they fit together. You have contemporary romance, which is basically just any romance where it's set in contemporary times to when it's written. Um, The rule of thumb seems to be that it has to be set after about 1950 although I question if that's still true like that feels like it hasn't been revised in a while because if you did have a book that was written and set in 1950 that would feel
1: more historical now Um, I would definitely consider that a historical so it's a moving a moving scale yeah
0: exactly Um, but basically you know if if it's a book where it's 2024 and they don't specify a time period but you get the sense that it's modern that's that's a contemporary romance um, there are a lot of subgenres that fall under the umbrella heading of contemporary. They get confused a lot with romantic comedies. I think mm-hmm. sometimes a are contemporary romance is labeled romantic comedy when it's not. Because you can have contemporary romances that have a lot of angst and heartache and, and don't necessarily have the humor. And you can have contemporary romances that have some humor to them but aren't necessarily romantic comedies. Um, right. I'll just call out a couple of authors that... I consider it contemporary, but not necessarily rom-coms, although they do sometimes get labeled, or at least one of them gets labeled that way. Um, Jasmine Guillory, who I mentioned with the wedding party, uh, she writes contemporary. She does have humor in hers, but I don't know I would consider them, I don't think I would consider them rom-coms. Um, Tia Williams, who has a new book that either is about to come out or just came out, she mm-hmm. writes contemporary. And then Helen Huang, who wrote uh, The Kiss Quotient, um, again, has humor to it. Not sure I would consider those romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. Romantic comedies are just what they sound like. <laughs> there is an <laughs> emphasis on the comedic portion of the story, and it almost is equally as romantic as it is funny. There, It could be situational, where there's lots of kind of hijinks and slapstick humor, um, but it all it could also just be very funny because of the banter between the characters and the way it's written. It's sort of a humorous interpretation of the story. So a lot of books right now are being marketed as rom-coms that I actually don't think are rom-coms. That's neither here nor there, really. I mean, that's just the way they're marketed. I think that a lot of people like rom-coms, so Mm -hmm. it's just an easy go-to to label everything as that. Um, they often have a pretty light tone as well, I would say. So even if there's some serious topics that are covered, they never delve too deeply into the emotional outcomes of that. It's, it's handled with a very light touch and often more of a comedic touch. So mm-hmm. some authors that I think do really fun rom-coms, uh, a classic author at this point, Susan Elizabeth Phillips. She's still writing, mm-hmm. um, but man, she knows how to write a funny romance some of them, I think, are a little dated at this point because she's been writing since the 80s. But she she can write a good, funny romance. Christina Lauren is a writing duo. And they do have a couple that aren't romantic comedies, but the majority of their books, I would say, uh, fall into this category. Mia Sosa mm-hmm. has written some. Uh, Olivia Dade, she almost straddles the line a little bit because hers can be pretty emotional romances and cover yeah. some more difficult topics, but there's a lot of humor in those, so I'm sticking them in this category because I wanted to talk about her. Natalie Kanya, who I have not read yet, but she has, I think, two books out now, is getting lots of
1: buzz around her, and she writes apparently great romantic comedies as well. It's it's really interesting, the the contemporary and rom-com area of romance that are just like the bread and butter yeah. of romance right now, and, and I think are not necessarily falling a bit with the rise of romanticy but but for the longest time have just been if you think about romance this is what romance is because they have those cartoon covers and people just are eating them up like with a spoon for the last five years and um and so it's interesting to see as things as time goes on and, and people's tastes shift what what like all of these have had their they all exist all these subgenres that you've mentioned they all exist at the same time but to see sort of what rises up in popularity right something else comes up and and is the the new thing and so that's that's part of what's what's fun about romance to me is that there's like like when I think of mysteries it's just sort of a solid everyone has their thing their their type of mystery that they like and they sort of all coexist at about equal popularity and romance really does seem to have like these are this is this is the the, the sh- sub-genre of the moment
0: absolutely and it goes in cycles I mean right I think yeah, yeah. that historical romance in the 2010-ish era was mm-hmm. huge and contemporary wasn't and then right. that fell down and contemporary romance and rom-coms just Mm -hmm. went like skyrocketed you know you mentioned the cartoon covers that was a huge part of it I think Mm -hmm. they were remarketed to a wider audience suddenly Mm -hmm. you had a bunch of romances that were pretty traditional contemporary romances that were not labeled as romances necessarily or because they were labeled as rom-coms and people knew that from movies they were more willing to give them a shot than some of Mm -hmm. the bodice rippers that, yeah, you know they had known. So it's 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 been interesting to see the evolution. But yeah, it always goes in cycles. In fact, I feel like we're kind of due for a historical romance resurgence because mm-hmm. it's been a little while since we've seen be as popular as it as it was. But right. Um, so that's actually the next subgenre I was going to talk about. And historical romances are really just defined by the fact that they are set in a specific time period in the past. Um, they can be. Medieval, they can be Victorian. They can be set around the American Revolution. There are just a wide variety of of times and places where they can be set. Authors that I've read that I've really liked to write historicals are Beverly Jenkins. She's like the queen. Um, she also writes a contemporary series uh, that I believe mm-hmm. might be inspirational fiction. Um, but I think I, so. Yeah, I really loved her historical fiction that I've read. Uh, Adriana Herrera, who's also written contemporary, she's recently dipped her toe into historical. Uh, Evie Dunmore writes some really fun ones about suffragettes um, that I think she just released her fourth one, which I think might be the last one in that series. And then Courtney Milan is an excellent historical uh, romance writer who she's done a variety of time periods and settings. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then within historical romance, you have Regency romance, which is huge. I mean, I think Regency romance is what a lot of people think of when they think of historical romance. That's Bridgerton is a Regency romance. And it's kind of funny because the Regency period just took place for nine years, but you have <laughs> so many romance novels. Uh, these are the ones where you're gonna have dukes and balls and a very lots of focus on getting married and having heirs mm-hmm. and things like that. That's very specific to Regency romance. Um, it also like, it's t- like
1: trying to to. Pull Jane Austen yep. and put her solidly in in romance, like almost Jane Austen fan fiction. That was the way. next note I had. I said it takes. Oh, sorry, ins- sorry, sorry. No, no, sorry. no that's
0: fine, that's fine. Uh, I said it takes its in- inspiration from Jane Austen and Georgette Heyer. Or mm-hmm. Heyer they also tend to be very white. (laughs) They tend to be written by a lot of white authors and star white characters and wealthy characters as well. Mm -hmm. I think there will always be a place for them. But I think that in recent years, we've seen interest in other stories than what has always kind of appeared in Regency romances. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Bridgerton came out within the last few years. And so I think lots of people who didn't know about Regency romance have become interested in it from that show right. so it's kind of right. it's kind of a opposite right it's opposite things. yeah but if you're interested in regency romance there's such a huge wealth of books you can choose from obviously julia quinn who wrote the prediction series that's a great place to start uh, it's about a set of siblings um, but she has other books too that take place not regency necessarily i guess or because they're before or after but anyway cat sebastian is has written several books that are either male-male or female-female romances that take place in the Regency era, which was kind of something new. We didn't see a ton of that before a few years ago. Tessa Dare is one of my favorites. She writes basically rom-coms that are set in the Regency right. period. Sarah McLean, who we've talked about before. I love her. Lisa Clapis is another one who I think is still writing, but she's, she's another kind of queen of Regency romance. Uh, talk about things that kind of go out of favor romantic
1: suspense is another Ooh, I, oh, sorry. could i say something about historical romance oh yeah sure go ahead first so when i was writing notes i and was writing up like look like thinking about historical romance authors i wrote down all of these people and i was just like dang these are like the grand dames of yep. romance where like judith McNaught and Jude yep. Devereaux yep. and julie garwood and mary ballad ba- uh, is yeah. it, is like i don't know i actually pronounce her name yeah like those are the those are the names of yeah. romance yeah. and so it's it's interesting how that they had such their heyday yeah. and became what people associate with romance outside of the readers of the genre right. like, that is what people think of uh still which, yes. which is so fascinating to me that they were they were so like maligned but also defined it in in very exciting ways so it's To me, it's very, I get fascinated by how much people misunderstand romance, and and I count myself in that uh, for many, many years. And so then to be like, well, it was true, but also it's so much more expansive, but these these are the people who... Who made that reputation for for better or for worse
0: i think the way a lot of people came to romance were through those authors right so i think they right. have a saw so- a lot of us including me have a soft spot for regency romances because mm-hmm. that was our first introduction to romance and there was something and it's like
1: what their parents what your right. mom's read right and, then and you it, read them. it yeah.
0: felt so different from what the life we knew so you know i i started reading romance as a teenager and it was Jude Devereux and Judith McNaught that I read. And that was so outside of what I was seeing day to day, where you had these balls and these, mm-hmm. you know, sitting rooms where these men would come courting and all these things. And it just felt very, very escapist and very glamorous in a way. And yeah, glamorous
1: is a great way of putting it.
0: And even Judith McNaught's contemporary novels that she wrote were very glamorous. I mean, they were about movie stars and it was everything felt leveled up from from the world that we knew and so mm-hmm. I still to this day love a Regency romance for the most part even though I recognize that there are some flaws <laughs> to mm-hmm. them in there you know they're certainly not representative of of the world as as it exists and all these things but it if you're looking for an escape there's a lot to be said for escaping into the, a Regency romance I al- also I think there's a there's not necessarily a lot that happens, although some authors do sort of throw in like an abduction or something like that. But but it's <laughs> it, there's an in my mind there's an emphasis on the banter and the sort of interplay between the hero and heroine, which is fun. That's the kind of thing I like to read. I like to read that that I don't know that witty repartee between the characters is really mm-hmm. fun, and I think that. You see that a lot in Regency romance because they're spending a lot of time at balls and, in, and sitting rooms and yeah, places yeah. and carriages where there's just a lot of talking happening. And I, so I find that really fun. So yes, thank you for adding that. I was going, it's so funny because I had in my notes to mention like Judith McNaught and all those people. And I was like, no, I've talked about them before. But no, thank you for adding that. <laughs> OK, so one that I think has actually declined quite a bit in popularity is
1: romantic suspense. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure why. But I put in my notes this, it seems very 80s and 90s. It does, doesn't it? It just was, it was huge then. Yeah. I mean, Nora Roberts is a big, yeah, a big part of that. And she's still around and she's still huge, but. But now she's writing like paranormal. Right, right. So she's even like, I'm done.
0: Yeah. So it's, it tends to be about 50% of the book focused on romance and 50% of the story is focused on. The suspense portion of it so it truly mm-hmm. is kind of like equally it's not like romance with just one scene of the suspense it, it really is an equal part there's often either a mystery or thriller element mm-hmm. but sometimes it can be more of an adventure like they're running from something and mm-hmm. in it together like you said um Nora Roberts is huge in in romantic suspense Amanda Quick Janet Krenz is another Author's name, like, but there was I don't I, I don't know many that are writing it today that wouldn't also mm. be considered paranormal. I feel like maybe has some romantic suspense to it, but it would be labeled paranormal, not romantic suspense. Right. So I really felt right. feel like it's fallen in popularity, and I kind of wonder will it come back at some point? It might.
1: Yeah, I I mean definitely adventure romance is is rising up a little bit of of kind of romancing the stone right, right yeah stuff, but that's a little more rom yeah than suspense yeah that's a theme, that's a little so, more
0: yeah hijinks not true yeah. danger whereas yeah. romantic suspense was true danger
1: yeah I remember reading Carla Nagers when I was in grad school yeah. for for my reader's advisory class and it was just so different than all the other romance that we were reading and yeah. I was like this counts as romance <laughs> but but the I think the fact that it's like emphasize like a lot of it has these sexual interludes, right that, right, <laughs> that yeah. are very dangerous in the moment and stuff and so that's kind of more the point right than the right than the adventure yeah. or or uh, thriller side right. of it
0: yeah anyway I'll be curious to see when I was thinking about this and jotting down some notes I thought I don't even know that I can think of a current day author that's popular that's writing in this genre like maybe a one-off here and there but mm-hmm. not consistently yeah um so next up when we talked about this in our trends episode, so I won't spend too much time talking about it. But romanticcy. So this is also speaking of
1: of the opposite. Uh, of, speaking of, of the of popularity, exactly, <laughs>
0: which could not be more popular right now. Right. Uh, so you know, we again we talked about this. This is fantasy romance, or the nomenclature right now is to call it romanticy, and it's where you have elements of fantasy, but the romance is still central to the plot. There are plenty of fantasy novels that have romance as an element, but they wouldn't be considered romanticy. I mean, it truly has to be romance is
1: central um, mm-hmm. alongside all the world building and that sort of thing. It does feel kind of similar though, in romantic suspense that it's like a 50 50 split yeah. to me then, then like, cause there's, there's also, I mean, I guess it would be paranormal romance mm-hmm. has, has existed forever, but it's, it's still this, this has so much of a, a, draw from um, fantasy epics that it's, it's like, oh, this, this is kind of just that, but has sex in it too. (laughs) So yes,
0: yes, I would.
1: I mean, that's, that's a very simplistic. No, no, I know. I'm just, I'm sort of like
0: formulating my thoughts because I think that's absolutely true. I'm not contradicting what you're saying. I'm just trying to think how to say this. These are meant for the romance readers. These are not meant for the fantasy readers. Right. Right. Right? Yeah, exactly. I think you could have, I think you, you have a lot of people actually who are reading rom-coms and reading romanticy? where I don't think you're having as many people who are reading epic fantasy and romanticy.
1: Yeah right? I would agree yeah. with that.
0: So obviously the big name is Sarah J Mass. I've been saying her last name wrong for many years. I've just learned oh, that it's Sarah J Mass. I did not know that either. Yeah so A Court of Thorns and Roses is probably her biggest series right now in romanticy. I've I'm knee deep in a throne of glass, the throne of glass series right now, which is an earlier or sort of ran contemporaneously to Court of Thorns and Roses, but I wouldn't consider it actually romantic. It's definitely more on the fantasy side of things. And then she has another series that is urban fantasy, I think how it's considered. She is a, she is truly a great place to start if you're curious about romanticy because she's a very accessible way of telling a story. She's a good storyteller. I think that there are perhaps better sentence level writers out there, but man, she can tell a story. like she knows what mm-hmm. she is doing. It gets complex but not overly complicated with her stories. so uh, anyway, she's she truly is a great place to start. It's no wonder that she's become so popular and so many people have read her who, who wouldn't ordinarily pick up something with fantasy in it. Um, mm-hmm. Jennifer L. Armantrout's From Blood and Ash series, I think, is another one. that's kind of a natural progression from A Court of Thorns and Roses. Um, people really like. And then two, uh, two authors I wanted to mention that I would consider romanticy, but from a different tone, um, a much lighter tone, almost like a more, romanticy rom-com meld are Freya Marska and Olivia Atwater, who mm. they have elements of fantasy in their romances, but it's not the, it's like magic more than yeah. fey mythical creatures kind of thing. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about romanticy? No. Okay, I, we talked about it a lot in our trans yeah. episode. So, um, so yeah, next is Paranormal, which is very close to romanticy, possibly... Romanticity falls under paranormal, um, but it just does seem like its own thing. Uh, I would say paranormal tends to have more urban settings where romanticity tends to be more not set in realism at all. Yeah, more high high fantasy fantasy, style. Uh, Cressley Cole and J.R. Ward um, and Nalini Singh are all uh, paranormal authors or have written paranormal books that are incredibly popular and I think are great places to start where they have like werewolves and vampires mm-hmm. and all these things. Allie Hazelwood has a new book coming out actually next week in just a few days uh, called Bride where she's all only written contemporary romances and now she's delving into paranormal. It's funny when she announced it she said basically, basically she lulled her publisher into believing she was a contemporary romance <laughs> author so then she could spring this paranormal yeah. romance on them. But I'm very excited to read that. I'm, cu- I'm not much
1: of a paranormal reader but I'm curious to read that. Would you also put the giant witch trope or yes. witch uh, everything Because um, those are lighter. Right. Those are not urban and stuff. Yes. But I still think that they fit into paranormal rather than like there's definitely crossover with rom coms and, yes. and stuff. Yeah, like Lana too, but... Lana Harper and yeah, April exactly. Asher. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think which which romances go in there as well. I actually feel like witch romances could almost be their own subgenre at this point. I know. They're so so
1: huge.
0: Okay, so then the next few that I'm going to talk about, I am not much of a reader of, but I just wanted to call them out. Another subgenre that I think is gaining in popularity or you're hearing a bit more about it is dark romance. Mm -hmm. And dark romances are going to be the romances where... The behavior from often it's the hero but it could be the heroine is, would be so that the behavior would be problematic if it happened in real life or the subject matter tends to be more taboo than your average romance so they often have characters that you'd consider morally gray or even morally corrupt they might include things like abduction rape um, and it's Treated as titillating, not mm-hmm. a negative thing.
1: There's a lot of like alpha yes. style yeah. stuff in um, in lot and lots of werewolves too. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um,
0: mafia romances are big, um, and those would be considered dark romances again because of the morally gray aspect to them. Again, I don't really read these uh but i turned to my good friend google and there are some that people (laughs) suggest as sort of a good starting place because i think you can go pretty darn dark with the subject matter so i think you need to if you're starting you need to ease in maybe um so haunting adeline is a really popular one right now um and then anna huang has uh the twisted series came up which that's pretty popular so my guess is it just sort of tiptoes around the dark parts and maybe not delves deeply but do you have any to add I can't imagine you are a dark romance no, reader in any way shape or form scene. yeah no <laughs> at all
1: so so but they're they're definitely rising up in popularity yeah. and it's it's kind of a tricky space because um at least for my purposes of of committee stuff yeah. because one of the things we talk a lot about is is this are these okay or or people are very often turned off by problematic romance and I'm I'm one of them that Mm. that's like this is to me hard to read about and so and so as we discuss those things it's like does this have a space on our list does it not but there is an audience for this for sure
0: yeah uh yeah lots of content warnings to be had here you know you kind of want to be knowing what you're getting into the other one that I actually am have a little list going of books I want to read because I think these might be kind of fun but I just haven't read many of them are western romances or they're called cowboy romances now they're exactly what they sound like they are Mm -hmm. either set in maybe the western U.S. or western Canada or the Australian outback where you have cowboys (laughs) as this as the main Mm -hmm. characters they could be both historical or contemporary again I'm seeing kind of a rise in these is in popularity. Elsie Silver is an author I see tossed around a lot. I want to read one of her books. Rebecca Weatherspoon I've read. Uh, She's written a contemporary series about brothers who are cowboys that are really great. Lila Sage has two books, the first being done and dusted, that I want to read. And then Devney Perry is another one who, it's sort of like a small town cowboy Mm. romance, and I actually think has a little bit of romantic suspense to it too. I think there's like Mm. some mysteries to hers. So that's one where they're always there like you mentioned about subgenres like they always exist but they kind of wax and wane in popularity mm-hmm. and I feel like for a long time westerns were not popular but I feel like they're just coming back with cowboy romances.
1: I feel like Beverly Jenkins needs to be mentioned there too as, yes. as, because she was doing something so interesting of, yeah. his, of black historical right. western romances yeah. and, and to me is like just she's such an interesting author. If you <laughs> walk away so
0: cool. Wanting to read just one romance, read Beverly Jenkins. That would yeah, be my suggestion. She's we'll she's see. amazing. Quick reads. That she just knows how to tell a story. Uh, interesting characters. And that's across all genres, not just Westerns. Like, I just, I think highly of her. Okay, mm-hmm. the next one, I'm guessing you do not read, actually, I know for a fact you do not read, Erot-
1: <laughs> Erotica, which actually... I mean, I-, I have had to read it for <laughs> yeah stuff yeah. and... Do not enjoy no. it. No. So the thing all. is,
0: I would say erotica is actually not romance because it's not about the love story. It's about the sexual discovery of the characters. Right. It's not really about the romance. So there may be romance to it, um, but I would argue that it's not actually romance. You you can have erotic romance where you have mm-hmm. very like explicit explicit sex scenes. But ultimately, it's still a romance, whereas erotica is really more about the sexual discovery of it. And it doesn't necessarily have to have a happily ever after. Um, mm-hmm. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I think sometimes they get conflated. And I don't actually think erotica. Yeah, is it really, really
1: is kind of its own thing. thing. Yeah.
0: And then the last one, and again, just like tropes, I did not cover all of the subgenres of romance um, <laughs> because there are just too many. And this is already such a long episode. But if you're curious or if, if you wanted a recommendation for a specific kind of romance that I didn't cover. Feel free to reach out to us, and I'd be happy to make recommendations. Um, so the last one I want to talk about a little bit was category romances, and this is interesting because it's not truly a subgenre, but it's treated as a subgenre. So these are those Harlequin or Mills and Boon's paperback, Mills and Boon, excuse me, paperbacks that you see in the grocery store. They have a very mm-hmm. distinctive kind of cover. Category romances cover all the subgenres basically um and all the tropes so as i said it's not truly a subgenre but it's it's treated like that so category romances have very strict rules as far as things like word count the spiciness or heat level uh, what tropes they include and what topics they cover based on which imprint they're in so you have these different say harlequin um, that have these different lines within harlequin And as a reader, you would know that a certain line would have the heat level that you prefer, the tropes that you would prefer, things like that. So, you know, if you like romantic suspense, there are going to be category romances that have romantic suspense. And I think it's usually they're like 75,000 words. So you know about how long they'll take to read them. Like they're just a very uh, conscripted way of writing. Mm -hmm. And so you know what you're going to get. Um, but based on what you're interested in, you could pretty f- much find anything you want in a category romance. And they often are published, or not often, also they're published frequently. So every month there are going to be a certain number of category romances published, which is again like romance readers tend to be voracious readers. So that is a benefit if you want a constant influx of new things to read. And I have not read many category romances, but I have a qu- former coworker who used to write them uh, so I'm going to recommend oh, wow. her her name is Jennifer Lohman and I've read a couple of hers and they're really good and they're really fun so if you can still find them I'm, not, I'm guessing in libraries they might still have them she's who I recommend to try so that's the, that's it for the subgenres that I have again there are going to be more um, but those kind of give an overview of what I thought was either subgenres maybe you've heard of and we're wanting to know more about or some of the most popular ones okay anything else to add about
1: subgenres No, I thought that was very interesting and very all-encompassing. Oh, good. Okay.
0: All right. All right. So next I have trends, which uh, we'll go through this kind of quickly because we just did a trends episode. The first one I have is that indie authors are huge right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Independently published books, either self-published or through independent publishers, are really having a big, big moment right now. And I attribute that almost entirely to Kindle Unlimited. So people... First of all, romance readers were basically the first group of readers to adopt the Kindle because they as I said are voracious readers, so they had they could easily buy new r- books as they needed to and mm-hmm. there was no shame involved because right. you're not holding a paperback that somebody's going to look at and think, "Ooh, she's reading a romance." It's all hidden, right? Anything, mm-hmm. you could be reading anything on the Kindle. Kindle Unlimited has really exploded in popularity and Exploded the careers of people that are on Kindle Unlimited because basically anybody can write something and put it on Kindle Unlimited and then they get paid for whatever proportion of a book that somebody reads. So, my impression is, you know, if you only read 50% of a book, they get paid something but not the full amount. Whereas, if somebody reads 100% of the book, the author gets 100% of whatever royalties they're due. Mm -hmm. And what you're seeing is So many readers read on Kindle Unlimited that the books become bestsellers, basically, on Kindle Unlimited. And then people who don't even have it hear about those books. Mm -hmm. So then these indie authors are getting picked up by big five five publishers or non-independent publishers and getting their books published traditionally. Um, So that's been a really interesting thing to witness because Mm -hmm. it's not the typical path to publication,
1: right? Mm Mm-hmm. And it really has had to change. The the there's been a h- huge shift in the in the library profession of having to recognize that independent and self publishing is not a a fluke right. and be uh, something to be dismissive about, right, which right. for a long long time yes. was the case yes. of um, yeah. of a pretty all librarians I knew, um, but it's it just is not the case anymore.
0: Actually, what I'm reading this week is a uh, was. Originally, I believe a Kindle Unlimited find for people, and mm. just got super popular. And so now, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's just been interesting to see because I think the traditional publishing route can be pretty fraught and difficult, and it, it requires a lot of people, a lot of people's time and effort. And so they have to be selective about what gets published. And so it's been interesting to see some of these indie authors really make break out and, and prefer to be on that side of things versus the traditional publishing route. Next trend that I think I'm seeing a ton of are sports romances, particularly hockey romances. Yes. Hockey (laughs) romances are so big right now. However... I foresee football romances becoming a thing because everybody is so interested in Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. So oh. I bet there are a bunch of romance writers out there right now penning their book about the football player and the pop star who yeah. have a relationship. So I think those might those might show up soon. But yeah, hockey romances are so 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 big right now, um, and then I think other sports as
1: well. But really it's well, and it's also it's also already a trend of like a very minor trend of using taylor swift lyrics as the titles of right. romances. and so the amount of crossover that can happen here oh. and then i'll just be in the back with my arms folded because i don't like them together i don't know they're totally good gr- <laughs> at first i was like
0: whatever i don't really care and now i think they're kind of cute they're super cute I'm, I'm, yeah. i i just think yeah. they seem here i think they seem happy and whatever it does not affect me in any way shape or form but I like when people seem happy so yeah for sure right like I just feel like if they're happy it doesn't matter if it lasts forever or not it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter how it started or because people think it's like a PR thing I don't care they seem happy so yeah I like
1: it and it's 100% my aversion to meatheads that (laughs) I am just like oh why Taylor
0: I know. She's so smart, and he seems maybe not so smart, but I don't yeah. know. I don't know. He could be. He's he's made a big success of himself outside of football alone. Yeah. So. Okay, so I have a few authors and titles uh, for these sports romances to check out. One is Mariana Zapata, who she was an in independent author, or indie published author, and I think now she's being picked up by traditional publishers. Uh, Icebreaker by Hannah Grace is a... College hockey romance, I believe. Serena Bowen and Al Kennedy, and then Liz Tom Ford's Windy City series. The main characters there are all sports related in some way, although I'm going to give a caveat that I just recently read something not so great about those books, so I haven't read them, but I'm putting them here because they're extremely popular and people seem to really, really, really love them. A lot of people that I follow on social media listed their books those books as favorites of 2023 so that's why I'm putting them there but I think they might be slightly problematic in their representation of marginalized people so I'll just say Mm. that romanticity I think is going to remain a big trend here for a while but I think I foresee vampires making a bit of a comeback oh which we haven't seen since sort of like the twilight boom Um, yeah yeah I also think monster romances might become a a smaller trend. I don't think ever huge. But Kimberly Deming has that. It's like something about saving a demon or fell in love with a demon or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think those might catch on. The Ice Planet Barbarian series, I don't know that they would be considered. That's like alien romance. So I'll just lump those kind of together. Those are really popular. So I just wonder, like, I don't think they'll ever be huge. But I think you might see a little uptick in those. Mm -hmm. And then the last trend that I think is a wonderful trend is, and it's been going on now for a few years, but I just foresee it growing because, as I said, I think historical romance is due for a resurgence. And I think we're seeing new perspectives and new settings and new time periods represented in a historical romance. So Mm -hmm. I believe her name is Diana Billier or Billier. She's written a couple of historical romances that are a little bit different from as far as setting and things from other uh, romances. And then Liana de la Rosa, she wrote a book called Anna Maria and the Fox last year. She has a new one coming out. Oh, yeah. And they're more like the traditional Regency Victorian romances, but with uh, characters of color. So mm-hmm. so yeah, that's a good one. I
1: think that need it, needs to be happening, and I just foresee it growing. Even, even uh, Cat Sebastian's mm-hmm. um, We Could Be So Good, is that was set in the 50s and is a, a male-male romance and it's it's around 50s 1950s journalism uh-huh. and that felt so fresh to me yeah. because it is historical right. but it just i picture more bodice ripper style historical right. and so it was really cool to see something that's like snappy and and uh more like urban kind of right it just, i, I th- found that very very fresh
0: yeah that's the other thing i think now we have the potential as as time marches on for things like the 50s and 60s and 70s those would be considered historical and i think there's a lot of room there for stories to be told um, that could be really interesting oh my gosh this is so long i feel like i've just talked and talked and talked you all are probably (laughs) so sick of my voice but we will be right back
1: with what we're reading this week
0: Anne, what, if, what are you reading this week?
1: Um, so I'll be very quick with this because I don't have tons to say about it, and I just started it. It is uh, Surrender, 40 Songs, One Story by Bono, hmm. and this is not a typical book for me because um, I will admit I am not a huge U2 fan. <laughs> I like about two songs from U2 and, uh, and respect them. I think that, uh, like, last night I was, I was reading through... Um, their wikipedia page and was looking on youtube a little bit and really was pretty astounded at how many major major hits they've had even some that i had forgotten um it it's pretty remarkable to see people with that kind of longevity and that that sort of output and that level of love and that they've had throughout their careers but i am not one of them so (laughs) um so i i and the songs i like are both are both very very early songs so um So this is a departure for me, but I'm reading it for a a professional commitment, and so um, I'm actually listening to it. And it's I won't go into like the plot because it's Bono's life story. It's it's pretty easily found. Um, But one of the things that is really interesting to me about this this listening experience is that he is well. I will say for his writing style, he he's very poetic in the way that he writes. And so often I'll have to go look up something on Wikipedia because I'm like, wait, how did they get from this point to this point? And it's because he's telling these stories in in terms of a song that represents that period. So so it's 40 chapters, 40 songs, and he'll start the the chapter with with a clip of the song and then sort of go into everything that was going on at that time and telling telling the plot of that time period but with a lot of introspection and linking to other things that have happened and it doesn't necessarily make for the most like linear experience of of ingesting this this information but it is kind of fascinating to see how his mind works and how he pulls these different pieces from his life and and attributes them to one central period that he's he's gone through but as far as the listening experience goes this is i've never heard an audiobook that is as highly produced as this one is for for the better mm-hmm. so because he it's so much about about this is is musical of course they'll play little clips of songs as he mentions them oh cool so he'll be yeah so he'll, he'll be speaking and you can hear the song going in the background or at the beginning of each um each chapter as he introduces the song that it's surrounding um like I said, he'll, they'll play a little bit of it. And so it's just like, oh, this is helpful to establish what mm-hmm. the sound of this or or to hear some lyrics and things. But then even within him speaking, they'll do little like sound effects as as he's going along. So he'll be talking about something happening in a city and you'll hear city sounds oh, in the wow. background and stuff. I've never heard anything quite like this before. I will admit that sometimes I find it a little bit gimmicky. Mm-hmm. And so it might not be to everyone's taste um, I'm sort of weighing that for myself of how much I in, I'm enjoying it. But I think the overall Im- impression that I'm having is that this is it's almost like like cinematic in a way mm-hmm. or, or like being in a play somehow or, or a radio drama um, is, is a better comparison. Mm-hmm. And I've I've just never heard anything like this. So so I think that if this is a topic that interests you, I, I know that there can often be with memoirs like a debate of should i listen to it because then i'm hearing the person read it Mm -hmm. or should i read it in print because then there's pictures right yeah um i think that this one is one that i would definitely encourage if if you're a youtube fan or a bono fan to go with the listening route because Mm -hmm. i think that it's really heightened by by this audio production um and then go check it out from the library and look at the pictures
0: yeah i mean i think just the addition of the music would be helpful because for sure you might need a reminder of what song it is or
1: yeah. yeah and sometimes he sings the oh lines because he's he's describing lyrics and stuff and so he'll just sing it instead and so it's just very interesting that's so cool um, that's so yeah cool. so that that is Surrender 40 Songs One Story by Bono
0: okay so I am also just starting the book that I'm going to talk about and it was one of those Kindle Unlimited fame stories that I think it just got so popular that it transferred over into real life. It's The Housemaid by Frida McFadden. And I started it last night because it is book club pick for this month for one of my book clubs. So it is about a young woman named Millie who you learn right off the bat has been living out of her car because uh, she doesn't have a job. She's trying desperately to get a job. She can't even get a job at um, a fast food restaurant because she has a criminal record and was in jail. I mean, you know that you don't know why, but you know she has a criminal record. She sees an ad one day for a job for a live-in housekeeper and applies for it just because she's basically applying for every job she has, but doesn't really have high hopes for it. And when she goes to the interview, she is interviewed by the woman who owns the or lives in the house. You know, married to somebody, they seemingly very wealthy. Uh, the woman is very put together. The house is immaculate. As she's explaining the job to Millie. And she's showing her around the house to kind of show her what would be involved and where she would be living. She'd be living there, so the bedroom where she'd be staying. Millie gets a weird vibe about the situation, mostly because the bedroom that she shows her where she'd be staying is very Spartan compared to the rest of the house. The rest of the house has these beautiful furnishings. This bedroom has just a twin bed and some bare bones Um other furnishings, and then two light bulbs just hanging from the ceiling. So it just almost doesn't match the rest of the house. And the other thing she notices is that the lock on the door locks from the outside, not from the inside. So she gets definitely a weird vibe. She also meets this woman's daughter, who she might have to do things like take her to after school activities and things. And she describes the daughter as almost being like one of the kids from, is it The Shining? That those creepy twins, the two twins, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she sort of describes (laughs) her like that. But she is desperate for a job, so when she's offered the job, she takes it, and she shows up the first day, and the house looks nothing like what it looked like on her interview. There's trash everywhere. There's food caked onto pans, and they're just sitting in the the um, sink. And so she thinks, wait, this is a little different than what we discussed. It was more kind of light cleaning, as The housemaid. So that's as far as I've gotten. Uh, It's very intriguing. It seems like it's going to be fast paced, probably pretty twisty. Oh, and one thing I forgot to say when I started the book actually opens three months before the events of this interview and everything. And you know that there's been a dead body found in the house, and the police are there to do an investigation. So you just get the glimpse of that. And then you jump backwards in time to three months before and meet Millie and all the things that I just mentioned. So I, you know it's going somewhere sinister. So, yeah, I think it'll be a fun book to read. Again, pretty quick read. And that's The Housemaid by Frieda McFadden. Sounds really fun. I know. I, it'll be curious. I'll be curious. Sometimes thrillers can be great fodder for a book club discussion and sometimes they can't. So I'm curious to see how this one goes. But um, it'll be fun to read no matter what. Yeah. All right. So if you have stuck with us <laughs> through this whole episode, I thank you wholeheartedly. Again, if you would like further suggestions or you have questions or you just want some more recommendations, I can talk about romance all the live long day. So you can <laughs> reach out to us at wellreadpod at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at podcast. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. I'm so sorry, Anne. There's going to be so much to put in the show notes. Oh, thank you all for listening. Happy reading uh, and happy Valentine's